1: The idea that healthy food costs more than junk food is just not true, so how can you eat better for less? Well, meat and fish are definitely among the most expensive items on a shopping list, while dairy remains simple and much more affordable. It is such a powerful source of micronutrients, high-quality amino acids and calcium, and those are all essential to healthy muscles and bones. If you consider Yo Valley's delicious, super thick, curned natural yogurt, it's high in protein, low in sugar, and available in 5% and 0% fat. To find out more, head to yovalley.co.uk and find it in your local supermarket. Welcome back to Feed for Thought and what is now Series 7. I can't tell you how grateful I am, not only for your continued support, but I'm just completely overwhelmed by the millions of you tuning in and of course sharing your positive reviews. I'm beyond excited to be bringing you all Series 7. I'm Rihanna Lambert, registered nutritionist, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well, and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. Over the next 12 weeks, my special guests and I's mission is to expose why so much advice can often be misleading. We'll be using the proven science to sort fact from fiction and dispel everything that remains confusing in the world of wellness. So that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with the trusted expert advice. Do you ever feel uncomfortable in the workplace or amongst your peers simply because some topics are left unspoken about and they seem unmentionable? Well, you're not alone. There are many other women who feel exactly the same as you do and want to open up the conversation. Stigma and taboos around women's health remain unescapable. Their effects can have serious consequences. Taboos can lead to women not having access to hygiene products, education, feelings of embarrassment as well as possible health risks. So, this week's Food for Thought sees Dr. Brooke van der Molen, who's currently training as a registrar in obstetrics and gynaecology, break down the many myths in women's health with me. Hello, Brooke. Hello, thanks for having me. Oh, absolute pleasure. I think when it comes to women's health, there are just... There are too many taboos out there, aren't there? It's so true. It's so hard to get good quality information. Everything's so confusing. Yeah. Mm. I mean, if we start off, gynaecological health on a whole, and I know that we spoke about this at the Food for Thought Mm. Festival because we had you on our panel. Um, It's just not really spoken about. It's really
0: not. And that's kind of why I've been doing what I'm doing, um, creating a platform to encourage women um, to get get the right kind of information and just speak about these things because as women we kind of try to do everything try to be everything to everyone be successful have the kids have be a great parent and be great at work and have everything and then when we kind of have symptoms we often ignore them or we don't want to talk about them or we just wait for it to get better and it can be so hard when you google online to find the right kind of information as well that you can rely on so yeah and there there are definitely some taboo areas that people people just don't speak about enough I would say like off the top of my head you know fertility definitely massive taboo still to this day even though there's so much that can be done Um, period problems people kind of grinning and bearing it experiencing years and years of devastating pain and yet kind of muddling through um, without realising something could be done to help incontinence after childbirth all these things I think and people are often surprised there is stuff that can be done to help but we just don't talk about it enough
1: well yeah I think I remember growing up and then when when you got your period or as a girl you almost told or Told to be quiet or silence, mm. like, oh hush, hush, you know, secretly. Discreet, yeah. yeah. Slip yeah. these things into your bag so no yeah. one sees. Whereas actually it's such a normal part of life for fifty percent of the population in the world, um yeah. <laughs> that it's crazy that we're having to be so discreet. It- a hundred percent. And also by by being
0: discreet, we're often we don't pay attention um, because we're kind of trying to hide it or pretend like something's not happening. Whereas actually what we need to do is paying attention to our bodies, recognizing what's normal. And if you know your body inside out and you know your your cycle and everything, then you can also pick up when things
1: when things go wrong and when things aren't right for you. Yeah, because I think a lot of um, women and I've definitely been there. I think we all have at some point in lives so feel embarrassed to mm-hmm. talk about it. Um, we've all had those awful moments where you're worried your period leaked through your trousers or (laughs) something's happened to you and really, men should equally, I think, be educated around periods.
0: A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of disappointing to me that like on my Instagram followers, like something like 98 percent of my followers are female. I don't know what I can do to change that. But I would love more men to be kind of paying attention. Sometimes men do get much more interested when it comes to pregnancy and they kind of they kind of see the women's cycle in reality and how it's relevant when you're trying to conceive, for example, and also during pregnancy. But often it is something that's happening to somebody else it's not happening to them so yeah I would love more men to understand it and I think that they could then also obviously be more understanding in the wider world as well when it comes to the workplace and and things like that
1: because there are some countries where my clients in the nutrition clinic some of them where they're from they automatically are sent to see a gynecologist whereas (laughs) that's not quite the same in the UK is it? No it's
0: yeah I I also come across that uh, but yeah in the in the UK the way it works is you you have your routine screening um, like your cervical smears um, which are all almost always done by maybe a nurse in your GP practice or so without seeing any doctor at all and then if you have any kind of gynecological concerns you see your GP and then they can often there's loads of things that they can do uh, medications scans things like that and then if they need to then refer to a gynecologist as the next step so for a gynecologist like me it's good because w- when patients come reach us they usually really have exhausted certain options the kind of easy things to sort and then they need more specialist input and using our expertise so it doesn't you don't just self-refer to a gynaecologist here and I think that's better for the patients because you can get appointments quicker Mm -hmm. you don't have to wait months and months to see somebody Um, and also you know GPs are are often best placed to to deal with those kind of quite common concerns
1: and you mentioned smear tests so Mm -hmm. let's go into those Um, who's eligible for these what age ranges are we talking about
0: yes so this the smear testing starts at the age of 25 in this country and they're done then every three years after that Um, and a question I often get is you know why, why don't we start earlier than 25 people people get cancer earlier than that so the cervical screening um, also known as a smear test but we kind of call it screening is there to pick up Changes in the cervix before they become cancer, so precancerous changes. So it's not there to pick up cancer and it's not to be done if somebody has symptoms of cervical cancer because that means that it's already quite far along. So we just do the screening every three years to try to pick up early changes. However, anybody that has any kind of symptoms of cervical cancer, which would involve things like bleeding after sex, bleeding between their periods, kind of funny, smelly discharge that they're not used to, anything, you know, feeling bloated feeling things are not right shouldn't wait for a smear test and whether that's because you're too young to have a smear test or whether that's because you already had a smear test last year and you're not due another one for two years don't put it off Um, you go see your doctor just because you're having symptoms so we we can pick up cervical cancer before the age of 25 but that's not through smear tests and the reason we don't start the smears earlier than 25 is because in that young age group it's quite common to have changes in the cervix um, which are normal and you kind of after a bit of time they settle down again and what we don't want to do is start worrying people by Mm. by picking up abnormalities in the smears but actually it's just part of their cervix kind of turning over naturally so we don't need to start until the age of 25.
1: I mean that's so refreshing and great to hear I think because so many people probably don't go because they are worried mm-hmm. and it's one thing that I'm often asked about a lot surprisingly as a nutritionist are there any you know miracle things foods that can help ease these symptoms I'm like you need to go and see a gynecologist you need to go and get some help exactly and it's one of the kind of issues we have at the moment I think with
0: social media that's only people yeah. will tell you this food that food will cure this symptom no. that symptom and I think people confuse like symptoms and and illnesses and so if you have a new symptom, a new problem, you, the first thing you should do is see a doctor. If they can reassure you that that isn't a symptom of anything concerning, then that's fine. And you can look for other ways that you can manage that thing that you're feeling yourself. But in the first instance, you shouldn't put off going to see a doctor because you've read something else on the Internet. No,
1: and especially I don't think social media. I mean, social media is a wonderful place to get this information mm-hmm. out there. And it's good. It's it's triggering the conversation. But another area that I think affects so many of our listeners, um, well, female listeners and men will know about this with their partners is polycystic ovarian Mm -hmm. syndrome could you touch into what this is and how people can manage it because i'm asked about this with diets and supplements interestingly all the time yeah so polycystic
0: ovary syndrome is when you get um, a large number of cysts growing on the ovaries uh, and the cysts themselves can cause issues and the main issues that people have when they have polycystic ovary syndrome is that they have very irregular periods periods. Um, so that's kind of widely outside a normal cycle, normal cycle of 28 days. So you might have very long periods, more than about 40 days or coming very close together, you know, say kind of 18 days apart cycles or even closer. So very irregular cycles. And then other symptoms that they might have on top. So excessive hair growth is a common one, skin changes, so acne, and then weight gain, being quite difficult to lose weight. Those are the common kind of symptoms mm-hmm. that you get as part of the syndrome. You need to have a scan as well that shows that you've got um the multiple cysts on your ovaries as well as being being shown to have these symptoms and you can be told you have polycystic ovary syndrome now the main effects that it has is it has effect as i said before on difficulty in losing weight and you get kind of a a sugar resistance um, like an insulin resistance as part of it Um, and you can also get um because of the issues with your menstrual cycle problems with fertility as well mm. and that's not to worry everybody that's listening that has been told they have polycystic ovary syndrome they're never going to get pregnant because many 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 women you know have, have no problems because you know if you are having some cycles then you may, may well be ovulating and it's so common
1: isn't it exactly it
0: is, it is a it is a common illness It possibly is a bit overdiagnosed because it's very common to have polycystic ovaries uh, where you have lots of cysts on your ovaries. And even being on something like the contraceptive pill can give your ovaries the appearance of having lots of cysts on them. But not everybody that has polycystic ovaries has got the syndrome. But even still, the syndrome itself is certainly common. Um, And until you kind of start trying to conceive, you don't know whether it will have affected your fertility. But if you're having extremely irregular periods, then it's possible that you're not ovulating on a regular basis and so the kind of the treatments that we have for polycystic ovaries mainly focus around helping whatever symptom is bothering you at the time we can't cure the syndrome and take it away completely but if fertility is your concern we can help you manage that by stimulating ovulation if kind of insulin resistance and difficulty in losing weight is a problem we can um, use a medication called metformin which is commonly used in diabetes but it 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 helps to reduce that insulin resistance Um, or we can kind of target the individual symptoms like like laser for hair removal and and individual skin treatments so it's not something i would say that there is one food or something that will cure all no. of those issues and i think it's important to work you know with your doctor and you can look at other other things that might you might find help you like complementary
1: treatments but yeah i wouldn't say there's something that can cure it all i'm so glad you said that because i'm often um being asked about pcos with um sorry i abbreviated it so pcos <laughs> yeah. i'm often being asked oh you know so and so said try low carb diet or this supplement in ostol is going to suddenly magically mm-hmm. take everything away. And if only it were that easy. But most people, I find, don't get enough fiber in their diets and then they'll take out these food groups and they're left actually in a worse place than they started out. Exactly. So, yeah, I think you need to look at it as a whole and just
0: target all of the things that, that are are an issue for you and that might change throughout your lifetime because you know at one point you're not trying to get pregnant you're doing anything you can to stop getting pregnant and then it reaches the point when you do want to get pregnant
1: so you can change which which things you're using at different times in your life no completely and something i'd like to touch on it is hormones Mm -hmm. because again this i mean this is your jam this is your area (laughs) of work brooke but us women we're affected by them heavily throughout our lives Uh, daily hourly Mm -hmm. let's face it um is there such a thing hormonal imbalance? It's, it's Here we again, go. it's,
0: yeah, <laughs> it's again, quite like a trendy term that's thrown around a lot. Yeah. If we think about your hormone levels, I mean, there's so many different types of hormones that you've got in your body. I think most of the time people are referring to um, the hormones that are involved in the menstrual cycle, like estrogen and progesterone. And they, vary completely throughout your cycle and they should vary because that's what helps you to have the periods that you have for example your progesterone levels you know go up through your cycle to the point when you're about to have your period then they drop very low and they the drop in progesterone is what gives you your period whereas your again your estrogen is involved in ovulation it goes up and then it drops down in the later part of the cycle as well so again you want the hormone levels to be changing they should they, there is they a balance should. to them but the balance is constantly shifting now i think people mainly are concerned about kind of hormone imbalance when it comes to either pms or me- uh, menopause those are the main times when you you know the hormone levels basically aren't doing what they should do and they can become excessively high which actually inhibits the rest of the cycle what i would say to people is Think more about the symptoms that you're experiencing rather than worrying about, you know, do I have a, a hormone imbalance? It's more, are you experiencing extreme PMS? Do you have extremely regular irregular cycles? Um, you know, do you think you're approaching the menopause? Those might be times when your hormones are not doing what they should do. We wouldn't usually... Test hormone levels unless there is a strong indicator to do so because they constantly change throughout the cycle. Yeah, because there's
1: a lot of pseudoscience out there on this subject.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so, for example, like one hormone we do sometimes check is progesterone, and we can check your level of progesterone at day 21 of your cycle to work out if you did ovulate that month because it should be a certain level at that point. However, testing progesterone on day five would give you a very different result. So, you don't want to be going around testing your hormones at different times of the month unnecessarily. because that's that can be widely misinterpreted and doesn't really give you any clear answers. So what you want to do is just look at yourself, think about what symptoms am I experiencing and if any of those are troubling you, see your doctor and they can try to help you to work out if if there is a hormonal problem here or if, you know, it's all part of your normal cycle
1: yeah definitely write down your symptoms and again i see a lot of supplements marketed at hormonal balancing food supplements i i see it all and just listen to what brooke has said and hopefully that will be helpful that i think another misconception brooke is it's contraception Mm -hmm. that that can make hormones worse so surely there must be two sides to this as well
0: yeah again kind of we (laughs) we we label hormonal contraceptives as bad because they have hormones in So the the hormones that are contained in in contraception and actually in HRT as well are estrogen and progesterone. And they're just different versions of um, different kind of makeups of estrogen or different makeups of progesterone. And they're in different combinations, which gives you the different contraceptive pills. I think there are a lot of benefits to taking external hormones for certain conditions. For example, you know, if you um, if you have got PCOS, then taking a regular combined contraceptive pill can regulate your cycle and provide you with contraception excellent that that you know gives you some predictability to your life and 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 also provides good contraception you could have hormones in for example a myrina coil which is a really fantastic form of contraception it's a coil that goes in contains a hormone that's released into your into your uterus and it can stay in for around three to five years depending on which one's used it can mean that women ha- who have really heavy periods have very light periods or no periods at all again that's a fantastic thing that can really change your life if you're debilitated by having very heavy periods and you struggle to leave the house and go to work so i think it's not great to label hormones as like a negative thing of course they do have side effects um, even circulating is good for bone health isn't exactly it? exactly and you know for women that have been through the menopause for example that are considering taking hrt then there is benefits of taking hrt like it can reduce your risk of um, heart attacks strokes bone health as well but of course there is risks involved and there's there's the risk of breast cancer with hrt for example which we think probably has been overstated in the past um but you know what what works for for one person may not be right for somebody else and we have to consider things on an individualized basis thinking again about what is your your troublesome symptom what is the reason that you've gone to see your doctor what would you like out of your either contraception or hrt and rather than saying like all hormones are bad think do i need it at this time and you might it might not be right for you now might be right in the future so If you're thinking about, you know, having a baby soon trying to conceive, but right now you want some good contraception, for example, you might not want to have a hormone which will mask your menstrual cycles because it's quite good in the run up to trying to conceive to track your cycle work out you know when are you likely to be ovulating I mean I've had
1: friends that have got pregnant without having a period so yes. obviously the cycle must have been coming back or they didn't quite exactly, get it. Exactly,
0: exactly so you don't have to come off the pill for example for no. a while before trying to conceive but some people would like to see what their periods are doing on a regular basis so that's fine, that's when you might not want to be on hormones but if you still need some contraception maybe a copper coil is good because that doesn't have hormones in it But, you know, at another point in your life when maybe after you've had a baby and your periods are much heavier or your PMT is worse, then a combined pill might be good for you. So it, it varies throughout your life and there's different situations that, you know, yeah, hormones can
1: be good, but they aren't without risks of course it's so interchangeable i think our bodies this is what fascinates yeah. me about health in general the fact that we're never quite the same person every second every minute of the <laughs> day different periods of our lives it goes to show how individualized approaches should be at, at different points and why we should be speaking to people that work in that field because all too often or not there may be a cherry pick study that makes the headlines that yeah. does say all hrt gives you breast cancer and of course that is not it, that's quite worrying. I think there's been so much um,
0: scaremongering, and what what that left was women that were having debilitating symptoms, mm. just having to put up with it and uh, avoiding a treatment that may well have helped them, even if it's for just a short period in their life. So yeah, we 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 have to make sure you know the things that i talk about on here i might not be talking about the most cutting-edge treatments and someone might listen and say oh but she didn't mention this that the Mm -hmm. other for pcos but actually what we need to see is lots of studies that are replicated showing good quality evidence and then once it's incorporated in the guidelines that means that all doctors can practice and prescribe the same thing and that means that's when we know it's it's reliable and it's safe so yeah i'm not here to kind of talk about cutting-edge treatments i think there is there is a lot of good treatments that are available and um, yeah we should all be working in a
1: similar way oh, i couldn't agree more which is really good that's all that's what the podcast is all about <laughs> food for thought and another areas so if we move on from Uh, PCOS, um, HRT onto endometriosis Mm -hmm. because I feel that it doesn't get as much airtime as PCOS Mm -hmm. could we explain what that is for our listeners um, and how it affects our
0: bodies definitely, so it it takes an average of 7 years for a woman to be diagnosed with endometriosis from when she first goes to a doctor, can you imagine in this day and age so what endometriosis is, is it's a condition where you get um, tissue that normally lines the, the womb, um, your endometrial lining, growing in places it, it shouldn't do. So it can grow kind of through the lining of the womb, it can also grow on the ovaries, it can grow on your bowel, it can grow basically in different, different parts of the abdomen and when you get your your period when you get your like monthly cycle you can bleed during your period from these places as well so it can give a whole host of different symptoms the main thing people experience is really painful periods that's the main symptom they Mm -hmm. come to the doctor with um and and that pain can be on a particular part of the abdomen or it can be all over um that may may also be because on the ovary where the endometrial tissue grows it can give you a certain type of cyst Um, and if again if you're bleeding into the cyst with your period that makes that pain worse the other main thing that people experience is when they come to trying for a baby they struggle to conceive because endometriosis is as part of the way that it gets deposited around the abdomen can make scar tissue and and things like the fallopian tubes can stick together and it can become difficult to conceive for in a number of different ways and that only becomes apparent you may never know you had endometriosis until it comes to trying to conceive so you know if you're again if you're having either of those symptoms see a doctor so if you're having really painful periods where your normal painkillers like paracetamol and ibuprofen just aren't enough for you um see your doctor and the other thing is, yeah, if you've been trying to conceive for a year or more, um, don't don't wait any longer. If you're a bit older, we say around, above the age of 38, you could see your doctor after six months of trying to conceive because they may speed along the testing. So you don't have to wait too long.
1: I mean, what about pain during sex, which is something that I think is reported yeah. sometimes? Yes, that is definitely
0: exactly. And that's, that's um, depending on where
1: the deposits of endometriosis
0: are, for example, um, then yes, because as well, you have adhesions within within the womb. Yeah. Um, so the, the pain... diagnosis
1: process then, it's not as straightforward forward as you'd like it to be it's a bit of trial and error i think there can
0: often be a bit of women go to the doctor tell them they have painful periods they kind of reassure them that it's normal or even if you get an ultrasound scan that doesn't always show endometriosis the best way of seeing endometriosis is actually seeing it with our eyes and the way we do that is through a laparoscopy so that's when we pop a camera into the tummy that's done under general anaesthetic by a gynecologist um your gp can request an ultrasound for you But um, ultrasounds don't show these adhesions. It can show if there's a cyst and it sometimes shows some features that may be in keeping with endometriosis, but it may show a completely normal scan. But what I would encourage women is if you're still experiencing the pain and, you know, despite having a normal scan, just maybe, maybe go back to your doctor again
1: are there any links? So I'm sure a lot of people are thinking well is there anything I can do to prevent this happening if I don't know it's happened now? Are there any links between stress or lifestyle that could be mentioned here? I think when it comes to our
0: menstrual cycles having a regular cycle, um, exercise um, and having a healthy diet are really really helpful. Uh, they also It also helps with things like PMT um, and things like that. When it comes to endometriosis it's it's kind of a condition that you you will have got for genetic reasons or for, mm. through no fault of your own the, the best thing that can help actually is being diagnosed and once you know that it's there and you you can plan treatment at the right time in your life that's i think the best way of, of helping it i would yeah. I, I wouldn't want anyone to blame themselves that it's because they led a certain lifestyle that's that's resulted
1: in that Yeah, exactly because i think it's all too easy to have that little voice in your head that just loves to pick on you every single day yeah. and it's like oh well it must be my fault but but equally it can go too far i hear stories of women that over exercise which not help their hormones either yeah
0: uh, well exactly because once you um you're over exercising that that increases your stress levels and also will can lower your bmi and although bmi is a rubbish marker of health as we know it's kind of it is something that we use when it comes to um, understanding our cycles fertility treatment and things like that because low bmi and very high bmi will make it more likely you you won't ovulate each month so yeah because it affects affects the the balance of your hormones Well,
1: this is the thing that I find is is very tricky to talk about. And just for any of our listeners, um, the next subject I'm going to bring up might be a little bit triggering, just just to give you a little bit of a warning uh, to switch off if you don't want to continue. But the subject of fertility and miscarriages, Mm -hmm. IVF, um, I feel that more and more couples now are struggling, we know, Mm -hmm. to get pregnant. And... They're more common miscarriages than you'd think, aren't they? These things do happen frequently. Absolutely. When it
0: comes to miscarriages, one in four pregnancies will end in miscarriage. And if you think, you know, many women won't just have one child or one pregnancy, you might have three or four that, the chances are that you know most women or at least someone in your immediate family will have been through a miscarriage so miscarriages is, is extremely common and then when it comes to um fertility problems or fertility struggles one in seven couples won't have conceived within the first year of trying to mm. conceive so yes they are very very common and again topics that are difficult to talk about for a number of reasons but i wish were talked about more because what you often find is anyone once you mention um if you if you were to tell somebody yeah I was I, I was struggling or I am struggling to conceive, often they'll be like me too or I mm-hmm. went through this, that and the other and yeah. as women we can really help to support each other but unfortunately what happens is for a number of reasons I think people don't talk about it, I think partly that's um, self protection because you don't want to admit to other people you're trying for a baby or that it's not happening mm. for you, um, that it's obviously got financial implications, you want to protect yourself from your employer and other people from, from knowing that is happening and the other thing is this kind of shame I think as well People...
1: and it's all the emphasis is on the woman right? yeah
0: exactly and this this feeling that like my body isn't doing what it's supposed to and I am a woman and I'm supposed to be able to you know do my exams go to work be really successful in my career then I'm going to just whenever I choose to just ha- get pregnant immediately and if if other things in your life have gone very well and then this part doesn't it can be really hard um, you know hard to deal with that um, and you and there is this kind of shame which absolutely shouldn't be there because it's you know not something that you can easily control or predict and like you say it's not just the woman as well and I think it's even harder sometimes for the men when it does end up being a male factor that leads to the infertility and we need to encourage I think the conversation that we talk about is happening making sure both partners you know lead a healthy lifestyle take the right steps in the run-up to trying for a baby and then you know being able to support each other whatever
1: the reason might be. It's such a delicate topic and I think having the a support network is obviously crucial and you mentioned the topic of BMI and weight before mm. but we do know factually that Your weight actually does influence your chances of fertility um, being too high or too Mm -hmm. low, of course, which would affect your hormone function. And there's a lot of stigma out there at the moment anyway about um, discussing weight on a whole. Mm -hmm. It's a very tricky subject, even for me right now, to address. uh, Because obviously we want to be encouraging lots of different body shapes and sizes. But you are an individual person, I think. If you have a niggling feeling that you're not in the best position you could be in, definitely seek help. Absolutely. It could ha- help
0: make a difference. Yeah, so it's a really difficult situation, actually, sometimes when um, struggle a couple may be trying to conceive for a while. They go to see their GP. The GP then refers them to, to us, to the gynecologist. And if, if the woman has a BMI of above 30 most of the time we can't proceed with fertility treatment and it seems really harsh and it's like what why won't you offer me the same treatment that you're offering you know other people just because of my BMI but that's because um, having a high BMI does have a significant impact on fertility on the likelihood that you're ovulating and also if we do prescribe any treatments whether or not they're likely to work so bringing your weight down into within a healthy range through a balanced and healthy diet not kind of you know extreme measures extreme restriction is going to improve the likelihood that you'll conceive spontaneously or if you do need treatment that that treatment is likely to work so what you actually don't want to be doing is going into say an IVF cycle with a BMI of 40 because you're putting yourself at greater risk and the likelihood is you know if you're spending huge amounts of money and it's not going to work so what you want to do is give yourself the best chances and ideally if you make the changes before you come to the point of trying to conceive then again that's going to put you in the best position to not need that extra help
1: and yeah IVF is something I spoke about with Dr Zoe Williams because she's she's going on her own journey quite publicly which is quite refreshing to see different women's speaking out that are perhaps using sperm donors mm-hmm. now um there's so many options out there aren't there for anyone that's looking but equally ivf is a postcode lottery
0: <laughs> yes so the, <laughs> the availability of, of ivf in the uk is really difficult because there are some places now that have no, they will fund no cycles of IVF. And there are others that will fund three cycles. And it's, it seems so unfair that people almost have to move to a certain area um, if they think they're going to need this. It's, yeah, I I really hope in the next few years something is going to be done to change that. Unfortunately, what it'll probably mean, that we'll have to balance things out a bit. So let's say everyone's offered one cycle, which is not great because, but it it's something. What are
1: the chances? Are they quite the right? The,
0: the- HFEA, I believe, um, are working to try to improve that because it's just not fair that it's not balanced across the country. But funding is, as we know, a a real issue at the moment in the NHS. And funding something like this, whilst I believe every single person should be entitled to three cycles of IVF, it's a very difficult case to make.
1: It's another ethical um, and moral, which I find as a nutritionist hard enough, let alone how you deal Mm. with this subject of bringing a life into the world, because... I'm often stating I'm a nutritionist, I can say facts about Mm. nutrition. Yeah, I often have to remove the subjects of um, your ethical reasons or Mm. sustainable reasons. But I think when it comes to bringing a life in, people are faced with, well, maybe if you can't naturally that's a sign and some people will read it that way whereas for other people they won't and will be like no it means you just need a bit of support there are two big camps out there that are quite vocal absolutely and it's it's such difficult
0: conversations to have i think when we remove money from the equation then for you know for many people yes we would keep going with certain options absolute sperm donors or egg donation fantastic things that are out there now that give people couples a real chance to bring home a baby but there is that financial restriction on top and the question of whether you know we should all fund it or whether you have to fund it yourself but in a way it's so unfair that one couple might might go through this for no fault of their own and another couple doesn't conceives really easily it's yeah it's it seems so unfair even
1: the psychology of it so I would urge anybody listening um, to seek out some sort of psychological support Mm. if you need it because I can imagine for couples that have had a stillbirth or a miscarriage Mm -hmm. or they're trying IVF it's failing is that something that is available
0: yes definitely and I think that is so important because we the these events that go on in your life I think it comes back to this taboo like it it can be a long time before someone even acknowledges that they went through a miscarriage or went through stillbirth or The struggles, I even see women who have um, struggled to conceive, gone through fertility problems, then conceive. And then actually when you're faced with having a pregnancy after going through all of everything you've gone through, the pressure that's on your pregnancy, it can be so difficult to cope with. And that can expose you to the risk of things like postnatal depression and anxiety. So absolutely please um, seek support there's loads of places you can turn to if you are pregnant then um, you can speak to your midwife wife or your doctor if you aren't pregnant um, then speaking to your gp the samaritans mm. line um, any if things become really you know acute then there's there's lots of places and I, I would definitely urge people to get kind of um support mental like with their mental health things like cbt can help because again anxiety around around going through treatment how that feels during the
1: cycle traumatic i mean yeah. for every single woman out there i think we need to acknowledge first of all how incredible we mm. are as females mm-hmm. the fact that we cope with so many different floods of emotions and life events that yeah. are thrown at us but there's no shame in asking for help
0: absolutely and i think that crosses the board for all aspects of women's health I think there should be no shame and that we would rather you know as doctors I would rather see you 10 times in my consultation room than not see you that one time that we missed something that was yeah. important I think ask for help maybe the first point of course is just to ask the people around you um, if you have a partner or if you have family you can talk to just check in with them do you think this is normal do you think you know I'm feeling like this is this okay but don't don't wait um,
1: don't sit on problems for too long yeah because another uh, pressure and aesthetic pressure i think that can come from from these changes in our bodies from pregnancies from miscarriages all mm. sorts of different things that happen to us and gynecologically you, you must see this quite a bit i mean some of it can lead to things like eating disorders mm-hmm. if you don't get the help the risks are high
0: absolutely yeah we really need to try and kind of pick up on these things and there are it doesn't mean that if you go to see somebody that you're going to get sent to see a psychiatrist you're going to be on medication no. there's so much that can be done at before that point things like cbt is a fantastic um treatment that's cognitive behavioral therapy can be used in a wide range of of issues um and hopefully prevent things like you say
1: would you say it's a bit chicken and egg sometimes you must see clients that come in to see Mm -hmm. you um perhaps they have an eating disorder underlying and Mm -hmm. you haven't been given that information yet that will have triggered their reproductive perhaps problems absolutely and it's a question that people don't think to ask i think as doctors we don't tend
0: to talk about diet You know, it's just, especially as a gynaecologist in secondary care, by the time someone's come, come to us, well, we would have assumed that all those dietary changes wouldn't work, those kind of standard things, and we're going to go straight in with medication scans, treatments. But like you say, that person sitting in front of you with a BMI, might have a normal bmi or even a low a low bmi or even a high bmi well, it could doesn't, be any, doesn't yeah. matter but yes certain eating patterns can as we said earlier affect the likelihood that you're ovulating and have resulted in that and maybe if we all ask a few more questions about you know um how often do you eat in the day what kind of foods do you eat and just to understand a little bit of that person's psychology and how they're thinking about food that could certainly may- maybe reveal a relatively easy problem for us to fix. Now obviously it's not it's not easy to change people's eating behaviors. But yeah, it might prevent them from needing to go down the line for, for more intensive. Treatment.
1: Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep number
0: smart beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together.
1: Because having a healthy relationship with food, mm-hmm. we know long term, if that's not their long term, it can reduce their risk of getting pregnant or anything they want to achieve, really. Definitely. And it, yeah, it's not something that you could just then
0: eat normally for a week and suddenly all the problems are fixed. It needs to be something that is o-
1: over a period of time. Yeah. And so I think to ask, I could keep talking to you about <laughs> these questions, Brooke, and I could go even further down, but I know we have a, a different episode for more eating disorder related questions. But let's move on to the Kind of physical effects, stretch marks, cellulite, how your body changes. Why do some of us have so much shame around this area? How has this developed? Oh,
0: I think social media, tabloid tabloids, magazines, they have so they are so much to blame for this issue that we see women and the images that we're presented is like look how so and so snap back mm. or look at this celebrity and one year later still got the baby weight look at her in a bikini this is where the problem is coming from we're being presented with the wrong type of images and messaging for sure and i think you know certainly for myself since having a baby since having two babies my relationship with my body has completely changed in a positive way but not in the way that you would expect and my relationship with food has changed as well I I meet so many people that you find when you are pregnant your appetite often goes up and then especially if you breastfeed oh my goodness there is nothing (laughs) like the breastfeeding (laughs) hunger I can't even put it into words you end up even if you were very controlled around certain food groups before you end up having this insatiable appetite and when your body has nourished your baby for this time, grown your baby, then continues to nourish your baby outside of your womb and it's done so much, then you can feel so much more kind of positive about those things. And yes, your boobs may look like raisins at the end of breastfeeding and that you have some stretch marks, uh, but you know we should be able to look at that in, in a positive way. And I get so many people saying to me, Oh, I had my baby, but I couldn't. I haven't been able to shift the body weight since, uh, and I'm breastfeeding. Why didn't this happen? And there is, for a lot of women, breastfeeding might help you drop weight really quickly. For some women, it actually does the opposite. It just makes you kind of cling on to that weight. The whole purpose
1: of it's not just about shrinking the uterus. It's it's about feeding your child. Exactly that. Exactly that. And I think I, I get so
0: annoyed. That this question even comes up. How do I get my body back?
1: Where did your body go? Your body didn't go anywhere. And I think maybe it's a generation thing because I I already hear it in different generation groups, and I don't think they mean any harm by it. But I'll go into a room and they'll be like, oh well, of course, when you breastfeed, you'll just lose all of that. It's just this kind of social norm we've developed. And
0: when I had my my first baby, I found that I did. I was one of those people that I kind of lost weight through breastfeeding quite quickly, and people would say to me, oh, you know, oh, you look great. You're you're back in your jeans. And I kind of I almost wanted to say like. Why are you commenting on that? Yeah. That isn't relevant. I've got a brand new baby who, uh, you know, I'm really proud of, and that. My body shouldn't be kind of there for commenting on, but as soon as you get pregnant and you have a baby, it's like anyone can kind of pass a judgment
1: on what you look like. It's a very interesting word. I've never had so many comments mm-hmm. about my personal life since falling pregnant, ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, and been marketed so many products, Brooke. Oh my um, goodness, I know. Do any of these actually work? The anti-cellulite creams and the skirt stretch
0: mark things? I don't <laughs> I don't believe so because I think what what you're doing in this... Um, time in your life is your, your skin is being put under such intense pressure physical it's not just the way that your skin naturally works it's if you think about how it is being physically stretched and the rate of growth oh you feel it yeah and so a lot of women kind of they're rubbing you religiously rubbing those creams every day and then the day after your baby's born the stretch marks appear because your skin then springs and there's no way of pre- preventing that from springing when suddenly all the water is released, and your baby you know is no longer in, in your womb which was holding it so big and tight so i think there yes maybe to an extent just keeping your skin moisturized and hydrated is a good thing for your skin but i wouldn't blame yourself that you use the wrong cream if some stretch marks appear you know i use them i've got stretch marks whatever they will fade over time to an extent and i think we just have to accept that that is just part of having the blessing and the fortune to be able to grow your child means you end up with some stretch marks
1: completely because women women go through so much that i wasn't aware of the the bleeding Mm -hmm. post-birth the Mm -hmm. pain even going to the toilet Um, the ability to walk, perhaps. There's so much more going on as well.
0: Yes, exactly. So that we don't talk about that early postnatal period enough. And a lot of people are completely floored by the fact that, why do I feel so awful? Why do I feel like I've been through a car crash? I think there is... We, we need to know what to expect before um, the baby arrives so that we can be prepared and have kind of stocked up on what, what you're going to need. So what I would say, the things when baby arrives that um, you can expect to experience is bleeding is definitely one. I always say uh when you kind of pack your bag, make sure you pack in like maternity pads for that bleeding because you are gonna benefit from both extra absorbency of the thick pads and the cushion that you get to sit on because you may have torn or been cut. And you know, over 90% of first time mums that have a vaginal birth will have a tear or a cut. So pain is a feature. Definitely you're gonna have some pain. Whether you have a vaginal birth or a C-section, you'll have some pain, take regular painkillers. Don't be scared of them. You have been through a massive, you know, change and, maybe even an operation so don't be scared to take painkillers you would at any other point in your life if you had any other procedure if yeah. you had some dental work you'd probably give you know take regular painkillers for a week but people are almost like oh no i'll take it for a day and then i'll stop because it was just when i had my baby
1: well they but- think because every woman's done it in the world <laughs> therefore somehow it makes it <laughs> Not a painful or traumatic experience giving birth.
0: Exactly. Yeah, it is. It is pain, and you need to kind of stay on top of the pain to allow you to look after your baby. If you um, also the pains that you get, the after pains. We don't talk about enough. You have all these contractions during labour and that's all to kind of push your baby down, 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 help the baby descend so that it comes out through the vagina and then after your baby's born, your uterus is still kind of large, the size of your, you know, 39, 40 week uterus needs to get back down to being the size of your fist and the thing that helps it contract and to shrink or we call it involuting is continuing to have contractions because those squeezing, um, squeezes the blood out and um, stops any bleeding and also helps to get that uterus back down to the shape it to the size and shape it should be and you continue to have some contractions now they are not like labor contractions they are they will be milder but they they are definitely there and often um each if you do breastfeed when you latch the baby on women often find that's accompanied by an increase in these contractions and it it'll last usually like a day or two uh but yeah we don't talk about it as women enough
1: right. I, there's this period after giving birth that i think a lot of women are expected to just crack on with it in and- get up and go Mm. it's it's a bizarre mindset and I think mindset is something that we should kind of just finish up before I take questions from from our listeners because advertising big brands pushing products like post-birth um waist trainers Mm -hmm. or um even miracles for things like breast cancers now I, I can't believe some of the things I'm seeing Brooke do you think in your line of work the confusion and the media are helping you get a message out there? Is there a balance now between the good and the bad?
0: I think, yes, people like, you know, you, myself, there's a bunch of qualified healthcare professionals out there on social media or speaking in the media. And I think that's great because we do need to dilute some of the, the rubbish messages are out there. But it, it does sometimes feel like we're fighting against this tidal wave and trying to dispel myths and I think for everybody that's that's listening just making sure and I know you've posted about this before that you are kind of checking that information that you receive is from a reliable source there's so much out there that people people do want to help and they that it comes from a good place but we we do need to kind of fight fiction with these good facts that are backed up by evidence
1: yeah and it it can be so hard sometimes um I know that uh, people mean well Mm -hmm. and that's when it's even more (laughs) difficult to kind of say I appreciate your comment thank you so much and i think for anyone listening one of the best tips i've ever ever been given and has enabled me to continue is just to say thank you for your input and mm-hmm. just kind of let it slide exactly. and yeah. then try and focus into you so anyway questions <laughs> from we've got janice first janice has said i'm in my late 20s and i have pcos i'm wanting to get pregnant but is it likely it will take longer than normal
0: so i think we we kind of mm. discussed this a little bit earlier i it's it's possible it will take longer um with with everyone the biggest impact on your fertility is not PCOS it's age age is something we again need to need to speak about this earlier and if you're in your early 20s and you're thinking about your fertility fantastic well done because for so many people they don't consider it until later and that's okay if you haven't met your partner until late in your 30s or you know you're not in that right place that's fine but you do kind of have to accept the fact that uh, the the number of of eggs we have in our lifetime is fixed you are born with the total number of eggs you will ever have and you lose many on a monthly basis so that's why in your kind of late 30s your um the eggs you have are of lower quality and it takes longer to conceive so if you're in your early 20s and you start trying to conceive then you still have good chances if you are having irregular cycles then um, if you're having widely irregular cycles, then I would say see your GP yeah. after six months of trying to conceive, because if you're really they're really irregular, the chances are you're not ovulating at all, so there's no point in giving yourself a full year. But if you are having regular periods, even if you've been told you've PCS, PCOS in the past, give yourself a year of trying to conceive, because the chances are you will conceive in that time. And after that point, if you don't, there is a, there is quite a lot that can be done to help to help to stimulate your ovulation.
1: There you go, Janice. Um, Arabella has said so. This is different breast cancer runs in my family. Are there any home test kits that I can use or is it just checking my breasts regularly? um yeah what you what you want to do the best way that
0: we can pick up um breast cancer is to just be really aware of our breasts Mm. um regularly examine yourself and kind of well done for even thinking about it being aware that you've got a family history means that you know you may be at higher risk in your lifetime having a distant relative may not increase that risk too much but if it is a close relative like a mother or sister then yes you may be at slightly higher risk of developing breast cancer so even more reason but Everyone, everyone should um, be checking their breasts. Uh, they, they, there's, there's, the there's a campaign. Exactly.
1: There's a Copperfield doing exactly,
0: and there's a campaign that feel it on the first. Yes. So the first of every month, that's your reminder. Have a feel if you want to do it in the shower or when you're in bed. Do it in different positions because your breast tissue will feel different in different positions. So standing up and the way gravity um, will kind of affect the breast tissue in that way feel in different positions and anytime you notice any changes and that's not just lumps remember with breast cancer it can be skin changes as well like puckering or dimpling you can see um that the skin just just looks a bit thicker um or that you are lactating when you're not expecting to lactate all those kind of things can be indicators of breast cancer as well as feeling for lumps now lumps can come and go especially if you're younger uh, so don't panic if you feel a lump there's there's every chance that it could be a cyst or you know a bit of fibrous tissue so don't worry just see somebody get it checked it's really easy for us to have a look with an ultrasound um, and maybe reassure you but if not we would way rather pick it up early
1: 100 percent, excellent advice thank you brooke um so hazel has said uh, when it comes to contraception what option has the least amount of
0: hormones again uh something we hopefully covered a little bit earlier we we shouldn't all be too scared of hormones but i understand why some people may wish to avoid hormones entirely uh in which case the, the main options you've got are either condoms um, and remember no other form of contraception protects you against STIs only condoms and the benefit is yeah they don't have any any hormones in uh, but the other option you have is the copper coil mainly um, another thing people mention more and more is cycle
1: tracking and and yeah the fertility awareness i'm glad you've brought this up because i've heard very very yeah i've been asked about it and i've heard very mixed reviews especially for the contraception side rather than the getting pregnant exactly so i am fully on
0: board with anybody that wants to track their cycle I, i encourage you to especially if you're worried about any symptoms to do with your cycle how regular your periods are whether you're having pmt things like that track your cycle, put it all in an app on a regular basis. It's really good to be informed about your health. When it comes to using that cycle tracking to predict when you're ovulating so that you can have sex and avoid ovulation so that essentially you avoid getting pregnant just through the timing of when you have intercourse, I get a bit nervous about that method. Now, there have been studies of um, certain apps which come with a thermometer. They tend to be quite costly. I think, you know, 90 pounds or something plus to get maybe a thermometer. It relies on you tracking your temperature every single day at the same time of day, putting it into an app and it gives you a calculation and says, you know, green or red, whether you can safely have sex or not. My worry is firstly, we mostly don't lead predictable lives so you know for example someone like me a shift worker some days I'm off work some days I'm at sometimes I'm working nights now how can I ensure that 7am every day I'm able to, to take my temperature and that also I'll have been asleep or, you know, whatever's been going on in my life is constant up until that time, it's impossible, I just don't think it's realistic, and so what ends up happening is people take the temperature at slightly different times of day, or if you take a temperature at 7am but you've been up all night on a night shift, that's going to give you a a different reading than it would otherwise, so with perfect use, they might say that it's 98% effective, but I would question if anyone can really use this over a long time period with perfect use, and if you are, you know, you're not you're not that bothered if you get pregnant or not, you know, maybe you're thinking, we're probably going to try for a baby in six months time, if we got pregnant now, not a big issue, then fine, you know, that might be a good method for you, it avoids contr- contraception, it avo- avoids anything invasive. But if for you, you know, pregnancy is something you really strongly want to avoid, that it would be a really bad idea, you may consider abortion at, at this point in your life please avoid this type of contraception because I just think the failure rate is too high and you just want something a little bit more reliable. And there's a lot of brands pumping a lot of money into mm-hmm. advertising these products. Which again, is, makes me really question yeah, some of the advertising that's out there on social media. Yeah. Whether whether it's right to, mark, to advertise a contraceptive, I'm, I'm not so sure because I think we should be having these informed discussions with a doctor that can take into account your lifestyle and recommend certain
1: things to you thank you Brooke. <laughs> excellently excellently discussed so that does move me on to the fact or fiction round of okay. the podcast are you ready i'm so ready here we go okay the coil helps regulate your hormones fiction there's two coils uh marina
0: and copper coil well there's actually more than two but broadly there's a hormonal and a non-hormonal coil um but even the one with hormones it gives you an exogenous hormone and uh, gives you progesterone but it doesn't regulate it into a regular cycle that would be yeah a completely confusing okay. statement
1: um endometriosis is just a heavy period definitely fiction
0: <laughs> as anyone with endometriosis will tell you it's painful periods is the main feature you can have heavy periods um and also you know infertility as as a feature of that but it's not
1: just a heavy what period. awful assumption yes you can still lose your period if you're a healthy weight
0: um fact yeah, there's lots of different reasons. You may not ovulate or you may not
1: have a period each month. Most health products for your vagina don't do anything. Probably fact, I would say. <laughs> I'm trying to think what <laughs> health products there are now for your yeah. vagina. And I'm like, mm, maybe the goop stuff is not the Yeah, <laughs>
0: I mean, and I guess some of the um, d- douches and things that, yeah, certain creams. So probably not that necessary to put external creams and washes on your vagina. Great. Cervical smears are painful. Fiction, although it can be fact for some women, I think um, they can certainly be uncomfortable, is a word I would use, uh, mainly the speculum. the the, the, you know the little device that's put inside so that the person that's doing it can see your cervix but please don't avoid your smear because you're worried about the pain it's better to go and have the appointment even if you don't end up having the smear that time go and discuss your fears around it there are people that have vaginismus for example if you're if you have painful sex because you know the, the muscles of your pelvic floor tighten up that can make having a smear test really uncomfortable so it's better to go along and talk to the nurse or doctor about things that can be done to help that for example using the smallest size of speculum um how using vaginal dilators at home or allowing you to insert the speculum yourself there's loads of ways to improve it don't avoid it
1: entirely good to know estrogen and progesterone are the two main hormones in women um fiction there's loads of hormones there's yeah lh fsh all the
0: yeah loads of, loads hormones. of hormones you only get stretch marks from pregnancy definitely false fiction false whatever you want to call all it Works. All yeah. works
1: <laughs> if you don't have a family history of
0: breast cancer you won't get it false fiction i'm afraid um yeah there is only a small proportion of breast cancer that is hereditary over 90 percent of women have cellulite sounds fairly reasonable i would say i don't know if i could call it a fact because i'm not that certain but that sounds like a pretty true statement
1: brilliant fact or fiction round and so informative Brooke thank you so much thank you so that does nearly wrap up this episode I'm so sad Um, there's so much more I want to ask you but we do need to finish with our fever thoughts today so I think mine would pretty much be the fact that we don't open up enough as women and talk about female health it's a problem and one that I only really became aware of falling pregnant Mm -hmm. to be honest more than ever before I think subliminally it was always there at school the messaging that we have to keep it hush hush but if we did all speak more we'd realize we're not alone and I think female health also has such a big impact on our mental health Mm -hmm. how we feel our self-esteem every single day and as I discussed before with Brett with the chicken and egg situation are you leading the lifestyle that's going to be impacting your female mm-hmm. health or is it your female health that's impacting your lifestyle? Either way, both can be addressed Absolutely, to seek help. And if you could leave us, Brooke, with something that our <laughs> listeners can take home with them.
0: Yeah, I guess just to kind of build on what you say is... Um, don't just don't just put up with symptoms um speak to somebody if you speak to somebody around you don't just laugh it off as normal either I think you know a perfect example of that is leaking urine after having a baby a lot of women kind of you know you'll joke with it with your friends about why you can't go for a run anymore you can't get on the trampoline but yes it's good to talk and yes it's good to laugh and to use these things because you know if you're if you're not laughing then you know how can you enjoy life and everything like that but at the same time we shouldn't just laugh off problems. There's a lot that can be done to help. You know, taking incontinence as an example, physiotherapists, women's health physiotherapists are fantastic. They can do so much. So it doesn't mean you need operations or complex procedures or medications. Just seeing somebody talking about what what's affecting you um, can mean that we can make huge you know improvements in your life. Um, and then you can go and tell your friends. You know, yeah, we, I was leaking. Now I'm not. And you should go and see your doctor too. <laughs>
1: Brooke, I don't even know how to thank you enough for coming on today's episode. Thank you for sharing your wonderful knowledge with us. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, you're going to absolutely love what's coming next week. So make sure you click subscribe to be the first to hear it. And please do, if you have the time, leave a five-star review. It does help this podcast get out there. We want to be able to reach more people, help more people, and maybe even perhaps reach higher highs in the charts. For more information about my Retrition clinic, books, healthy recipes, events, retreats, and so much more, please visit retrition.com. And you can always follow me at Retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube.